You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. All right, episode number 168 of Play-By-Play Cast. It is baseball playoff season, so for the second week in a row, we talk baseball here on the podcast. Episode 167 last week with Josh Josh Sushan of the uh, Albuquerque Isotopes. And this week, Steve Klauke joins us from the Salt Lake Bees. He is also the voice of Weber State football and basketball. Before we get to that... This, of course, is the play-by-play podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, professional development pod that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. As you heard, my name is Joel Godet, and you can email me, j-g-o-d-e-t-t at b-s-u dot e-d-u, or, uh, well, not or, just and, Maybe, if you're inclined. Uh, leave a rating, review, throw some stars our way. Always appreciated. Uh, Steve Klauke has broadcast just south of 4,000 games for the Salt Lake Baseball Organization. Originally, the Salt Lake Buzz, who you might remember from Major League 3 back to the minors. Great film. Uh, they became the Salt Lake Stingers and uh, now the Salt Lake Bees. A stadium I have been to get to that story in a second uh but he's also the voice of weber state which he has done on a full-time basis uh, over the last couple of seasons football and basketball and he's been heard on any number of utah sports networks and um broadcasts since the early to mid 90s when he moved to utah which was originally to be part of the utah jazz broadcast pre and post he did some talk um and then when the salt lake buzz came to town He took over their play-by-play duties, was a fill-in for Weber State until he became the voice of Weber State, has filled in for Utah, has filled in for the Jazz, has filled in with the Angels. Uh, He has been all over the place and is one of the bastions of broadcasting in and across the Rocky Mountain region. Uh, I have been to that stadium, by the way, because years ago, like four years ago, Ball State basketball played Utah, and our SID and I... Um, we actually got lost. He forgot pants on the trip. So we, we were trying to go. We, we took the public transportation in Salt Lake City to... Um, we had been there the year before, and we had done the tourist thing, and we went down to um, you know, see the Mormon Tabernacle and um, experience that part of Salt Lake. And we remembered there was a mall in that area. So the next year he needed pants, and we were like, all right, we'll go back to that area. If there wasn't a mall, there were stores, whatever it was. We were going to go back to that area. We get on the public transportation, we got off on the wrong stop. Um, So we kind of got lost a little bit, but then, like, we found a store, he bought some pants, we walked back out, um, and then we could see in the distance light towers, and we're like, all right, that's not too far. We walked, and... Uh, the right field gate was open. So uh, I have a <laughs> I have a picture in right field at the uh, Salt Lake Bees Stadium that nobody knew about until right now. Uh, but that is my that's my one interaction uh, with professional baseball in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Steve Klauke, though, has traveled the country broadcasting. He is a Chicagoan. He has broadcast in and around that area, including Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin has gone down to South Carolina with his career, and it has also carried him out to Utah as well. Uh, very well um, very well traveled, very well respected, and for the last 30 years almost, um, as we said, is, is one of the deans of Utah sportscasting. So it is my pleasure this week to sit down and talk uh, his career and how he goes about doing what he does. Steve Klauke joins us here on PXPCast. <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, when I, I got out of high school, I, first of all, I went to uh, uh, my, my 
father in particular was a guy that didn't believe in college, so I never got the chance to go there. So I went to a, a fly-by-night uh, broadcasting school in Milwaukee called Career Academy in between the uh, hotel management floor and the medical and dental assistance floor. <laughs> and uh, and uh, out of there, I sent out 50 blind letters to radio stations all over the country that I picked out of the broadcasting yearbook. And guy called me in Orangeburg, South Carolina, saying, uh, uh, sure, come on down. And so I, it was only a summer job. So once the hours shortened, because uh, it was a daytime station only, got let go, went back home, uh, worked at a bank for four years. And then the new general manager of the station in 1977 called and said, hey, uh, we're a full-time station now. Do you want to come back and get back into broadcasting? And I checked with my wife and I said, absolutely, sure. Spent a couple of years there, uh, moved back to uh, Illinois to get a job at uh, in uh, Zion, Illinois, which was interesting because it served both the Illinois side of the state line and the Wisconsin side. So not only did I have to cover news on both sides, but sports on both sides. At that time, the high school football was better on the Wisconsin side. The basketball was better on the Illinois side. Uh, in seven, no, in eight, 1983, the owners sold the station and made it uh, to a company that made it like a relay station for a classic classical music station in in Chicago and so I was the last person on the air and I had to do a DJ shift uh, from six in the morning until the sale was finalized, which was a little bit after two o'clock in the afternoon. So I was on the last, uh, the last voice on the station from there. There was an opening for a sports only position. My first one, uh, in Aurora, Illinois, uh, got that job after a week long tryout. And, and it was interesting at that point because, uh, uh, was there from 1983 until 1989. And, December of 89, on the 1st, they called us in allegedly for a budget meeting. And uh, sure enough, the ownership had decided to turn the station off and uh, just operate the FM. So once again, I was out of a job. I once again was the last voice on the air for that radio station because on December 2nd, we were contractually obligated to broadcast the national championship game for semi-pro football between the local DuPage Eagles and the Scranton Eagles in a game that was played at uh, Paul Brown Stadium in Massillon, Ohio. So for the second time in a row, I was the last voice on a radio station. Was that, uh, a, was that a big deal? Uh, it was. I, okay. I, it really was. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was I, I, at least I think it was. I was the <laughs> only one on the staff that got to say a, a goodbye and let people know what was going on. And, well, I meant, I, meant, I, meant, I meant the semi-pro football game. Oh yeah, it was. It was. Uh, we we had uh, been for about three years. We had been having the coach on on a regular basis uh, uh, on my uh, evening talk show, and then uh, we did occasionally did some of their Sunday afternoon home games. And you know they were on a roll that one year, and so uh, you know we we had paid the fees and were contractually obligated to to do the game. And it was funny because it was so cold in Ohio, the uh, crowd or the wireless mic froze. Uh, during the coin toss so we couldn't even carry the <laughs> the coin toss they uh, our local team lost 21 to nothing but the highlight was after the game they had a an awards banquet at the pro football hall of fame up the road in canton i had free reign of uh, uh, the hall of fame for about three hours so that was a lot of fun um <laughs> after that there really wasn't uh, much going on i did some freelance work here and there but couldn't find anything full time it had gotten to the point about 18 months after the fact that uh, Maybe that was the end of the road for me. And I and talk about job security. I had legitimately applied to be a reservationist for Amtrak. Thankfully, they didn't uh, uh, they didn't uh, hire me. And what happened was at the time there was a one eight hundred number that you could call and they would have listings of sports broadcasting openings. And then uh, one time I called and they said that we were becoming a biweekly subscription service. Uh, please give us your name, address, and we'll send you out a subscription form. Well, when they sent out the subscription form, they included the latest issue of their uh, newsletter. And there was a listing for the jazz pregame, halftime, postgame show slash uh, on air and producer so I applied for that job, and from what I understand, there were uh, 50, 60 applicants, and they flew in five people for the uh, uh, in-person interview, and it got down to two people, and fortunately, uh, uh, I was out the one Joe that Buck. 
I beat out Joe Buck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that's hard to believe, but I think it's worked out pretty well for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come. I'll come back to that part um, here in just a second. But I do want to go back to the the signing off of a radio station um, and having done that twice. And uh, jo- uh, jokingly, uh, did you take anything with you on the way out? Um, and 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 more seriously, what is it like to to say goodbye on the airwaves of a station? Well, I guess for the answer to the first part, uh, now that I think about it, I don't think I took anything with me other than maybe some uh, some media guides. I figured, well, they're not going to need them anymore. I might as well keep them for myself. And I think I still have some of them from uh, uh, from the Chicago Bears back in the day, uh, the complete sets of the NFC and the AFC oh, wow. from the mid-'80s. So that's, uh, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, it, it was sad in both cases, more so the second than the first, because the first one, everything was going to be, you know, fine for the people or some of the people there, the uh, uh, news people and the, uh, the engineer and the secretary and even some of the salespeople, because, like I said, uh, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we were 96.9 FM and the Chicago uh, classical station was 97.1, so they it was just kind of a, a nice smooth uh, relay from that point uh, for people driving uh, north to Milwaukee for the uh, uh, classical music. But the second one was sad. There was a uh, the station in Aurora had a great tradition of uh, local high school sports that I was uh, you know proud to be a part of. Uh, uh, the, as a matter of fact, the first sportscaster at that station to to broadcast high school sports. Uh, you might have heard of the guy. His name is Chick Hearn. <laughs> and so uh, we, yeah so yeah the but the you know it was really sad from the you know the history and the tradition but again uh, i i considered myself fortunate to be the last one on the air so i could you know say my goodbyes and talk a little about the uh, tradition and uh, you know even threw a plug into the other station in town that was still doing high school sports how much play-by-play did you get to do uh, up through that point in your career in 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 South Carolina, the second time around, I did forty games a year, and that was American Legion uh, baseball in nineteen seventy eight. The team uh, post four in Orangeburg won the state championship, and we had two future major leaguers on the team: uh, Herman Winningham, an outfielder, uh, and Mike Sharperson, who uh, has since passed away in a car crash in Las Vegas. Uh, those two were were on the club. Also, Mookie Wilson's two younger brothers were on the the team, and also our our first baseman wound up being a fifth round uh, draft pick of the St. Louis Football Cardinals as a place kicker, because uh, when he went to Clemson, he handled extra points and short field goals. And the long field goal kicker was a guy named Obed Ariri. So it was a pretty talented team. So I got to do that in uh, the next stop in Zion, a lot of high school uh, football and uh, basketball, you know, maybe two games every week, maybe a Friday night game in the, in Wisconsin and a Saturday afternoon game in Illinois, because the local high school didn't have lights uh, basketball, maybe, Fridays and Saturdays, and maybe more than that during the state tournament, as well as the Christmas holiday tournaments. But uh, Aurora was the, the the one where I really uh, was able to uh, develop styles in, in all my sports because we had uh, uh, football games Friday night, Saturday afternoon. Sometimes I do three in a weekend. We do that semi-pro football team, or somebody, somebody like a local Division three college would play a Saturday night game. So I'd be able to do three football games. Basketball, I, I called it hoop du jour because we basically had a basketball game every night but monday nights uh, uh during during the week between junior college division three and high school games uh we did a small sampling of, of uh high school and college baseball but in the summertime uh you will find this kind of strange but i got to broadcast every game home and away for one of the then the top 10 men's fast pitch softball teams uh, in the country. We used to broadcast, like I say, every game home and away. So we're talking about 100 to 120 games a year, depending on the number of tournaments they played in. And it was a case where, uh, you know, it was, we, uh, we didn't play in a softball complex at home. We actually had a, a neighborhood park that seated 3,500. And on Fridays and Saturday nights, we'd get 2,000, 2,500, maybe 3,000 people out of the ballpark. So it was a, a big thing in that market. And it took me to 14 states and two Canadian provinces. That's actually, that's pretty awesome. Um, what, what, I mean, tell me a little bit more on, on the men's fast pitch side, what being a part of that was like. Because um, I feel like it's something that nowadays, I mean, 
I mean, I guess you, it's something you could do, but it's not something you can kind of process doing on that level. No, it, it really was a great experience from the standpoint that uh, it was my first opportunity to travel with the team, which really prepared me for getting used to travel with uh, the AAA baseball club. Uh, a lot of times though, we never traveled as a group. You had to find your own way to the different uh, states and uh, provinces. You know, when we went to Canada, uh, I think we had group plane tickets and all that. But for the most part, I had to drive myself from from location to location. Sometimes we'd go on a week road trip and we played in, uh, I think it was uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, for a doubleheader on a Friday night. Then it was, uh, no, there was a Thursday night, then a, a Friday night in Mankato, Minnesota, and then a Saturday night, Sunday afternoon in St. Paul. So it was really a, a lot of fun. And it really, I think in the long run, doing all that fast pitch softball made me a better baseball announcer because you've got grown men playing on a little league size field. So everything happened so fast and it really slowed the game of baseball down for me when the ball's put into play. Yeah, no, that's true. And you think about it that way. Um, I will say this about it. Uh, uh, you never had sane hours when it came to fast pitch, for example, and <laughs> I think it was in 1984, it was the uh, national softball championships was being held in St. Joseph, Missouri and one night there was maybe an inch and a half of rain that fell and they weren't expecting it and didn't put the tarps on. So it took them five, six hours the oh next day to get the fields ready. So everything was pushed back. Uh, there was a guy out of Tampa, Florida that uh, had the broadcast rights to these games and on these national and world tournaments, he'd use me on games uh, when I was available when uh, my local team wasn't playing. And so he had me booked to do a game between Madison, Wisconsin and Reading, Pennsylvania, for the Reading, Pennsylvania station. It was uh, going to be uh, aired on tape delay after their broadcast of the Phillies game was over with. Well, the game itself actually didn't start until 3.30 in the morning, St. Joseph time, so 4.30 in the morning in Reading. So they ended up carrying the game live leading into their morning talk show. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um what, tell me more in terms of, I feel like over the course of your career, you've done a lot of games for out-of-market stations and out-of-market teams as well. And, I mean, throw Reading, Pennsylvania into that mix. Um, how have you come across so many times of being, uh, uh, I think I saw an article that, I don't know if you called yourself or someone had called you like the, like the, the, the uh, like Mr. Fill-in or, or, you know, just the Johnny on the spot in that regard. Because um, it feels like you've been in a lot of those situations. You're right. It has happened that way. And it's not something that I've, uh, you know, pushed for, <laughs> nothing that I've searched out. It's just fortunately, you know, word of mouth and, uh, you know, your name gets passed around and you get calls and you hope that uh, you're available to do it. As you mentioned, uh, uh, there was a six year stretch where I filled in, even though it was a competing radio station from the jazz owned station, they allowed me to do this. I did, I think it was 29 basketball games, one football game, uh, seven women's basketball games and a baseball game for the university of Utah. Mm. And so, uh, you know, filling in there and then, uh, I wound up doing a, a game at BYU for uh, uh, Cal Poly. I think it was three games in a tournament. Uh, there was another one with Findlay, Ohio. They were playing BYU in, in an event there. And uh, you know, Weber State used me as a fill-in as well, leading up uh, to the time where I took over their play-by-play for football and basketball. It's just one of those things that uh, uh, people have uh, passed <laughs> my name around and uh, the people have been interested to use me. I mean, the, uh, the one of the weirdest ones was uh, with the uh, – uh, then New Orleans Hornets. Uh, back then, that, that was the one season that Steve Albert did their television, and they were um, uh, in to play the Jazz on a Saturday. Well, he had a, a Showtime boxing card that night, and so uh, they moved Bob Lick from radio to TV, and Bob had, had known me through baseball in the past, so he recommended that I fill in for him on the radio side, and so I wound up doing that. The funny thing was on that Monday – after the game, I, I called uh, uh, the guy who hired me with New Orleans and asked him his thoughts on, on the broadcast, and he apologized for not being able to, to listen that night. And then he goes on to tell me that uh, that was the Saturday night 
of the final uh, Saturday night uh, of Mardi Gras. So nobody was listing. <laughs> <laughs> At least in my mind, nobody was listing. But hey, the, the check didn't check didn't bounce. It was blasting on all the floats. Is there you go? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, in South Carolina, when you started to do all of those games, um, particularly in the high school level, and you know Legion Ball and things like that, um, how'd you get good at it? Like, what were what did you study? Uh, what did you learn? How did you polish yourself uh, in those formative years? Well, I think a lot of it was uh, one was repetitions. Uh, I think you need your reps, and I also think. As time went on, I became better and better at uh, at game prep. I, I mean, my first ever broadcast, I knew nothing about game prep. I just thought, you know, you, you got uh, your rosters and and went. That was back, of course, I was 13 years old at the time, and it was a freshman in high school. I got to do the varsity football game. Our, our campus had uh, one of the it has one of the oldest uh, high school radio stations yeah. in the country. So I, I got a chance to do the varsity football game when I was 13, my third week of my freshman year. I do remember that we lost 34 to nothing and my cousin was the quarterback, but because he played so lousy and had a different last name, I never mentioned the fact that he was my cousin. But two years later, when the team went undefeated, he was good old cousin Bob on the radio. <laughs> so I think I really you know, so repetition and I think uh, 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 learning how to game prep and also learning how to be myself, because when I was doing the, the American Legion games in Orangeburg, uh, I, I'd get to do the middle three innings. Uh, our station manager did the rest, but my home run call, I just copied Jack Brickhouse, the hall of famer from uh, the Cubs. you know, back, back, back. Hey, hey. And I'm thinking, you know, later on, I think, why am I copying what he's doing? What he's doing. You should do whatever feels right for you. Uh, what did you learn about preparation? Um, the more, the more, the better. Uh, just you know, in that case, obviously, there's no media guides or anything, so it's uh, that's where you learn to talk to the players, try to get some tidbits from them about their backgrounds, what their likes are, uh, things like that, and uh, you know, you know, doing a better job of uh, uh, researching. Because uh, back then, I don't know what it's like now. American Legion baseball, there were 40 teams in the state of South Carolina. There were eight five-team divisions. So uh, to keep up on everything was uh, important to me. And so uh, it was just a situation where I would, uh, uh, like I say, talk to talk to the players and learn as much as I could about them as individuals to try to make them more than just statistics, make them human beings. Uh, how does that, I mean, how have you, I don't know even if adapted is the right way, but how have you carried that through now to, you're doing AAA baseball games um, or Weber State, you know, Division mm-hmm. One football and basketball games. Um, how has that carried through in terms of how you interact with those types of people and uh, glean information and stories from those types of people, um, particularly, I would think, on the baseball side where, uh, you know, they've got a hunch that you're there for that reason, so to speak, um, and, and making them comfortable enough to understand that um, they can talk to you and you can you can get good and interesting information. Well, I think one of the things, uh, it's funny, it's actually gotten a little more difficult as the years have gone on, because when when I started uh, the AAA in 1994, uh, the age gap wasn't as big. So I yeah, would occasionally yeah. go, I would occasionally go out to lunch with the guys and, you know, talk to them and learn some things about their backgrounds and all that. And uh, it was a much more relaxed atmosphere. And I would you know, let them know that or, or when they would tell me something, Hey, can I use that uh, on the air? Now it, it's just to, you know, try to cram all that in around the batting cage before a game or in the clubhouse and, and what have you. Other benefits to not being the same age as them. In terms of that, though, and I don't know if they, they do they look at you in a more sage fashion. I... The guys, the guys who have been around, yes, I, I would I would agree with that. And then they tend to let the, the other players know that hey, this guy's okay. You can talk to him and tell him whatever because he's not a a guy that's gonna you know rip you on the air. He's not going to uh, tell a story about you out of turn that he hasn't talked to you. Uh, or asked you about in, in, in the, in the past. So I think uh, it, it kind of gets passed down, which is nice at this level when guys might be with us for three or four years at a time, the, the guys that uh, have are in their third or fourth year, uh, you know, know what I'm about, know what I do and, uh, and are comfortable letting the other guys know that, Hey, you can talk to this guy without any worries. What do you find out at the batting cage? What are the things you're trying to learn in that setting? 
Well, for example, whenever every season that we get uh, uh, anybody who's a switch hitter, I ask them, well, how do you approach batting practice as a switch hitter? Are you do 50-50 or do you do it 60-40 based on who you're facing that day? If you're starting out as a left-handed batter or a right-handed batter, I'll ask them about their families, uh, uh, just any little tidbits that, that, that went on. For example, uh, it's, it's funny, the Angels – are, are very secretive about their information. So they wouldn't let their uh, track man guy tell us, you know, what the distance was on a home run, what the exit velocity was on a base hit or whatever. But uh, uh, Justin Bohr hit a ball that was just uh, crushed over the batter's eye here in center field. And I go, boy, that was, uh, that was quite the, <laughs> the blast yesterday. I wonder how far it went. And, uh, one of the guys who had been with us for a few years uh, gave me the, oh, it was 497. Because <laughs> they knew, they, they were told, they have the information. They just, uh, for whatever reason, the Angels won't let us have it. Um, so you brought up an interesting point there. Because you said every time you get a switch hitter, you'll ask that type of question. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you've done more than 3,000 games at this point at the minor league level. And I even think about this from time to time. When similar opponents come to town and similar teams, similar schools, you see a guy... Um, you know, in your case, you're seeing the same players, you know, 10, 15, maybe games a year from an opposing team. Um, what are the ways that you take something like that, that can get stale and make it new and interesting every time? Um, not necessarily to the listener, because maybe it's the first time they hear it, but even just to mm-hmm. your, to yourself to say like, you know, like, oh, man, I've, I've asked a switch hitter this before and I've heard that before. Uh, what are the ways you make old information new again, even in your own mind? Well, you know, it's, you know, once, uh, you know, well, for, first of all, I won't, even if I get the information, uh, say, uh, in mid-April from a guy, I might not use it until mid-May or early June, try to spread things out. Uh, I'll also, uh, you know, maybe go back to him two or three months later and say, have you made any adjustments have you changed your pattern since i last asked you about it you know just to just try to get updates on what they do if they're doing anything differently say in in july than they did in april well i guess i mean it in terms of two not necessarily the same guy but it's like you know switch hitter comes through in 2018 2019 different guy comes through um i guess do those questions ever get old to you or is it always different answers and different avenues you travel down no no I, 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 it doesn't get old to me at all just from the standpoint that uh, you know the first time i read it how many people or, or, or mention it uh the next time i think about using it i mean how many people do i know were listening that time it's to right. to me it might be old information but it's new to the people that i'm talking to gotcha yeah that makes and it's just you that's the way you have to treat it um yes and then it rings true um Two interesting quotes I found about you. Um, Uh-oh. From a sto- no, it's not a bad thing. Um, the, the Deseret News, I think it was the Deseret News, had a story um, when you were, I believe, sportscaster of the... Oh, you know what? No, it was the, uh, the 2,500 games for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mm-hmm. quoted a couple of Utah guys. Uh, Greg Rubel said that your voice is classic. Um, and then David Locke from the Jazz um, said it was very listenable which I think is, one of, well, but I mean, like, that's one of the higher compliments you can get because there's nothing well, more of a pain than a guy. It's like, ah, oh, it's just grating to hear. Um, well, it's funny that you say that because uh, the, the, the story behind that is that when David got a chance to do his first high school football game when he was uh, wet behind the ears, he asked me to critique it. <laughs> and when I did, I said it was listenable. <laughs> and he actually, he actually took offense to it. To that uh, description hmm. and uh, has you uh, and he's told me this he has used this as his motivator uh, throughout the years and we've joked about it uh, throughout the years as, as well so that's that's where the listenable came from why did he take offense to it i you know i don't know he's uh, he, he just thought i'd uh, uh maybe he thought he was better than i described it uh, maybe he thought that listenable was he just got by and he he thought he was better than that, which he wasn't. I've always thought, <laughs> I've always thought about it as like, hey, you're you're an easy listen. It sounds mm-hmm. clean, like it's e- I can sit back and enjoy it. Um, and those two quotes kind of rung true in that same regard. Together, um, describe your style that way in terms of why do you think? I know it's hard to self critique that way, but like, why do you think you're an easy listen, or what is it about you that is? 
is relaxing and digestible to sit down and take in a game? Boy, that's really a, that's a great question. Um, as far as, oh, boy, I, I think part of it might be the fact that while I get excited, I don't yell at you. And my, my, I always tell a young broadcaster, it's not about volume, it's about inflection. And I think that's part of it. I've had uh, people tell me they love the way uh, that the game is described. They, they can see the game in their, in their minds uh, while they're listening. I think the ultimate compliment uh, from several people that I've, I've been able to get through uh, Twitter and what have you, they say, I really don't like baseball, but I like listening to Steve just because he, he, he the way he describes the action. I, maybe I'm a, I'm considered a old school by a lot of people that uh, I still think painting the picture is uh, is the biggest thing in a radio sports broadcast. So, you you know, you you just can't say, you know, here's a ground ball to short. You say, you know, it's a, you know, a two hopper handled on a backhanded bounce or, or handled on a belt high bounce back backhand bounce. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm just uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's uh, uh, I think the, the storytelling in baseball and I think the description in, in basketball and baseball and not or in football and basketball and not, you know, making every play sound like it's the uh, the Super Bowl or the NBA finals or the World Series. Tell me more about that. Um, getting excited and not yelling and volume versus inflection. Um, how much effort and thought and work went into to honing your your ability there because I, I mean i have to imagine at some point early in your career you had the realization of those two things and it took some time mm-hmm. to to get yourself to where you are now well part part of it just maturing getting older and then realizing you sound stupid when you're yelling don't yell and sometimes when you yell you're you're not understandable sometimes you yell and it uh, you know peeks out the equipment and you really can't be understood so <laughs> It's just one of those things, uh, you know, Ben Scully always used to say that he never listened to any other broadcast. He'd watch the World Series with the volume down because he doesn't want to pick up any habits from somebody else, whether it be good, whether it be bad. I hmm. was completely the opposite. I, I love to listen to very I still listen to I might not care about the uh, the Pirates and the Reds, but I'll, I'll listen to the broadcast while I'm preparing for my game just to you know, maybe get ideas and all that and incorporate it in, in, in what I do. And so I, I, I just try to, and I think over time I realized the guys that I liked the most got excited, but didn't yell at me. And so that was something that uh, I, I, I concentrated really hard on. Cause I can remember one time uh, in that fast pitch softball, we were in the uh, uh, world tournament in Sioux city, Iowa. And I, I, it was a scoreless game, bottom of the seventh, and uh, Mike Drew is the guy's name. And I said, well, Mike hasn't hit his annual home run yet. Well, that would be a great time. And then two pitches later, he clears the center field fence for a walk-off win. And I'm going bananas. I grab the wireless mic. I'm running down the steps, yelling and screaming to go out and interview him after he crosses home plate. And uh, I, I happened to listen back later and said, boy, you sounded like a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so maybe maybe at that point in particular is when I uh, realized uh, it's about inflection and not volume. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's something I've tried to be really conscious of, um, in particular over the last couple of years and, and trying to have a, I mean, listenable is the best way I've been able to think about it. It's just like make yourself as easy a listen as possible. Um, and it just... It, it, you, you find a, a pretty common or a pretty consistent tone uh, that's easy to follow along with. Uh, on the action side, describing the action, um, what's the best way, you, like, how do you best describe the action? Because I feel like there's a, there's a, uh, there's a tipping point sometimes people, where, where people will say, oh, that's, like, that's too much detail, it's too much to process. Um, or is that not true? I, I think that is true. And uh, there are some times that... Uh, uh, some people, and I'm, I'm not going to name them, that they'll, they want to be so descriptive that to, to me, they're four or five seconds behind the play and the, the, the cheering from the play has already died down and, and no, the play has been over for a while. Why don't, why did you take so long to, to get to that point? Uh, I think I learned in regards to being descriptive, but not overdoing it 
when I was doing high school hockey. I mean, I realized after a while, and then later on, I did some uh, uh, Utah Grizzlies hockey here as a fill-in whenever they would do television. The radio guy would go to TV and I would do the radio. You, when It didn't take you very long to realize you can't describe every pass in a hockey game. So you have to you know, be smart with what you do describe. And I think I took that from hockey and, and put it on the other sports as well. Let me dive into your hosting background. Um, can you tell me tell me about the like what was the Utah Jazz job like, um, and and what did you enjoy about that aspect of things? Well, it was funny. First of all, when I when I got the job, you know, the, the, the audition tape I sent, it was a little bit unusual. Rather than the cut up spots, I just uh, sent them a solid hour of a particular show that I did in Aurora with, you know, with, other than uh, erasing the. Uh, uh, the, the spots, uh, and I was very fortunate. In one hour, I was able to interview the late Nick Charles from CNN because they were coming to do their sports night show in Chicago, their first remote broadcast ever. And then they said, uh, uh, football coach of the semi pro football team was a guest. And my hour wrapped up with a uh, an eight-minute one-on-one with Arnold Palmer, who happened to be uh, in the area designing a golf course, and he had the media over for uh, uh, a walkthrough while it was still nothing more than piles of dirt uh, being rearranged, and uh, and so that kind of opened the eyes of the people here because they, you know, they were always used to to getting good guests on the show and and interviewing them by. The lead host, Dave Blackwell, had a, a black book of numbers that was unbelievable. I mean, we had Tom Brokaw called us to come on the show 15 minutes before the NBC nightly news began on the day that uh, O.J. Simpson canceled at the last minute an interview that he was going to do with Tom Brokaw and uh, Katie Couric. So uh, it was one of those things. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, especially because of of Dave's background because he had been a beat writer for the jazz for a number of years. And he knew every NBA coach, uh, uh, by name. And, and these were guys that uh, would come up and talk. As a matter of fact, the best thing was for a seven o'clock tip off, we would go on the air courtside at four o'clock, which was ridiculous. But <laughs> you there. And every single coach except one would always, we wouldn't ask, Hey, can coach so-and-so come on the air? These guys would actually come out, seek Dave, and find out what time do you want me to come on. The only guy who wouldn't do it was Pat Riley, but that's neither here nor there. But So uh, it was a lot of fun from the standpoint that uh, yeah, to get NBA coaches to come up uh, and, and talk to you. That We would always get uh, the broadcasters on for the visiting team, which was uh, great for me, although embarrassing the first time we played Chicago because I had made – mistake of letting Dave know that I thought the world of Jim of Jim Durham who was doing the Bulls games at the time and uh, when he uh, introduced Jim on the uh-huh. air he told, he told Jim that by the way Steve's one of your biggest fans <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice because we uh, from that point developed a, a friendship and was saddened by his uh, passing a, a few years back but so that was you know those uh, those uh, those days were a lot of fun, and obviously the team was uh, uh, fun to, to, to cover with Stockton, Malone, and eventually Hornacek. The only bad part was really starting in you know 1994. I'd be around for the regular season, and I would miss the playoffs because of baseball coming. Do you ever miss um, being able to do as much talk radio as you did with that? opportunity absolutely absolutely not i i really i have a hard time listening to sports talk radio these days we have some good shows here in salt lake but for the most part it's uh, uh i i just i'm glad i'm not a part of it anymore you're not into the hot take city not into hot take city i'm not into playing the hits i mean it, it was funny i used to cringe when dave back in those days would bring up boxing and horse racing and i would think nobody cared but yet we were getting sixes and sevens in in our ratings and you know nowadays they're fighting for you know ones and twos it's just uh, and they they only talk about utah byu and and the jazz that that's it and and to me that's just uh, that's boring and i also i have a problem with nowadays nobody gets credit for winning anymore let's blame so and so for losing but don't give any credit to the winning team yeah so i i i I don't miss it at all i don't necessarily disagree with you at at all there um did you think that's kind of where you were going to be though um 
like because I know the beat the well the buzz came around in 1994. Um, but before that, had you kind of resigned to like if play by play comes around, it, it it comes around. But I I'm happy in this role at that time. Absolutely, uh, it was absolutely the case. But uh, I I remember when I was interviewed. Uh, for the job, the station manager said he really, because I, I threw in some play-by-play at the end of my talk show tape, and he said he really enjoyed what he heard. So uh, not long after I started, I suggested it hadn't been done in Salt Lake for a few years. Why didn't you let me broadcast the uh, uh, state football championship games of the top, uh, top two classes uh, of high school football here and they thought it was a good idea and i uh just on a whim brought in as analyst for each game the head coach of the defending champion as my analyst obviously neophytes in the business one worked out really well one one didn't and and then uh, i did some uh, they decided that was good let's do some uh you know the high school uh, uh basketball championships as well and, uh, you know, that, you know, I knew I, I had my, you know, foot in the door there, but I figured it was going to be primarily talk show and maybe hoping somewhere along the line that Hot Rod misses a game and that they'll use me as his, uh, his fill-in, which uh, finally uh, came to fruition in uh, December of 1994 after the first baseball season. Um so when the when the buzz came into reality, I like I, I've I've heard you tell the story a little bit. Um, you went to Portland and did a couple games before they moved the team. Is that correct? Yes. What happened was the uh, as usual at a charity event, there was a backup at a par three uh, golf tournament uh, here in Salt Lake, and so um, I went up to our general manager of the station and the vice president of broadcasting for the Jazz because they were interested in the broadcast rights for the team. I said, well, why don't you let me go up to Portland, broadcast the last two games of the regular season for the Beavers, and that way the fans here had get a feel for the new team that's coming in, and this shows the ownership that we're the ones interested in the broadcast rights because KSL Radio apparently was interested in the broadcast rights as well, and they thought it was a good idea. So went up there, did the Saturday night and Sunday afternoon game. Well, what I didn't know was that the – uh, Saturday night, uh, the owner of the team was standing in the doorway. There were no doors to the broadcast booths at, at, at Portland Stadium at that point. Uh, he was listening, apparently liked what he heard, and told both stations whichever one had Steve would get the broadcast rights. Well, first of all, I wish I had known that. I could have negotiated a better deal. Right. But um, uh, so that's it. Was it? I didn't know this was why, but uh, KSL sent one of their sports people over saying. Uh, trying to talk me into uh, coming over to their station to, to to do the games and, you know, saying that the BYU broadcaster is, uh, you know, closing in on retirement. We were looking for someone to uh, develop as the, as the heir apparent. And, uh, you know, that was very nice. Uh, the money they offered was the same, but to me it really wasn't about the money. It was the fact the Jazz saved me from uh, 19 right. months of unemployment. I, I really felt a loyalty to them, and so that's when uh, I decided I was uh, going to stay, and that's how uh, we got the broadcast, and that's how I got the job. Okay, so it was you went back up to Portland and broadcast the games back to Salt Lake for the last yes. couple. Okay, so that'll make sense. Mm-hmm. My my thick brain. I didn't. I was like, why would they let? I was like, why did they bring in this guy to do the last couple of games of the year? Now it makes a lot more sense. Um, well, at that time, at that time, they only broadcast Saturdays and Sundays in Portland. Oh wow. Okay. So you were like the guy for a couple of games. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that works out. Uh, that works out in the long run. Um, I want to ask you one uh, non-broadcast-ish related question. Okay. Um, I too enjoy going to Triple D restaurants when on the road. Um, I have been to the meatball place in Salt Lake. Um, you've gone to 166 restaurants, though, that have been on television. Let's update the list. It's up to 189 right now. That's in. I didn't. First off, I didn't know there were that many. Um, well, there's actually almost 1,200 now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, what? Like how? How does that make your life more fun when you travel on the road and seek those out? Oh, I, I, I love it. Uh, I mean, first of all, I like to eat local rather than chain when I travel. 
but sometimes local can be iffy. So I figure I go to a town for the first time. I'll look it up to see if he's been there and what restaurants he's been to. And, uh, you know, I always strike up a conversation with the server saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. This is my 167th uh, Triple D place. And sometimes I get a reaction. Sometimes I don't. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun. I try to eat uh, what he's had on the show. That always doesn't work out. But uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Matter of fact, I went to one in uh in the south uh, end of uh, Denver called the Bagel Deli, got a chance to meet the owner who I saw on, on the show. And one thing led to another, and it turned out that he graduated from the same high school as I did four years before I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a small world. Yeah, um, it is. So, what was the best? What's the best thing you've had from those 189 stops? Boy, that that's really really hard. I might have to break it down into meals. And my favorite breakfast of all time would have to be Amato's in Omaha. It's an Italian deli that not only uh, does their own meats, but they do their own ricotta cheese, and they put it in their pancake batter. And those are the best blueberry pancakes i've ever had unfortunately uh the owner passed away about a year and a half ago his uh, widow and son ran the place for about three months decided they didn't want to do it anymore and so that uh, place is unfortunately uh, closed down uh the southern kitchen in tacoma is great uh some of the best uh, fried chicken i've ever had their breakfasts uh, are uh, are outstanding and there's some great places here in salt lake that have been on the show as well uh, uh, the previously mentioned moochies is uh, certainly uh, high up uh, on my list but it uh, it has made me uh broaden my horizons a little bit when it comes to food because uh, i like to describe myself as a picky foodie uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm a foodie in the ways that i like to be a foodie um, there you go <laughs> um and i'm sure it also plays well on the air because it gives you stuff to talk about Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, when, when the score is 12 to one in the sixth inning, you need something to talk about <laughs> other than the, the game, we, we, whether the, the bees are ahead or behind in a situation like that. So, uh, yeah, it, it gives me something to throw on there a little bit. And uh, I, I kind of I've kind of gained the reputation because uh, whenever we go to a new city, uh, players uh, ask me, you know, hey, where should I go? I remember one player asked me where uh, uh, I should go for breakfast because uh, he was a big breakfast guy. And I said, I didn't know baseball players knew what breakfast was. <laughs> or at least outside the hotel breakfast. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, there can't be 189 places in the PCL and the big sky. Oh, though. no. Oh, no. Well, th- th- there's quite a few. I mean, there was... Uh, I think there's 19 here in Salt Lake City alone. Okay, uh, well, that'll do it, yeah. R- R- Reno had four, and now I think they have eight, and I happened to catch two of them when we uh, when we were played at Nevada a couple of weeks ago in uh, in football. And, you know, I'll add them whenever I can. And my wife and I went on a uh, driving trip around all six New England states last year, and I hit seven Triple D spots. So go. I kind of – kind of search them out a little bit so it's uh, it's really uh it's really fun and uh, helps uh, uh the monotony of, of of the road uh well steve if people want to hear more of you uh or learn more of you uh how do they track you down on social media or whatnot uh, or, or your games uh, uh twitter at uh, slb's radio uh, it's, it's funny. I think I'm up over 2,500 followers right now. More than half of them, I think are angels fans from Southern California wanting to know what's going on here. And I, I gained quite a few of them, uh, uh, the angel fans in 2016, when I got to do those six games for, uh, uh, for the angels, uh, that season. And then, uh, uh, on Facebook, uh, I think it's just, uh, uh, Steve Clowkey and then, uh, the games themselves, uh, go to uh, uh, Salt Lake Bees, yeah, saltlakebees.com and uh, link into the games uh, there. And as far as Weber State is concerned, I believe if you go to the schedule page for the various sports for the Wildcats, there's a link to the radio broadcast as well. I do want to let you get going, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Um, you bring up those games with the Angels. You did those two series. Um, I feel like we always talk to players when they get called up. I remember having conversations where it's like, hey, they always say, don't look at the lights, like, don't look up, uh, just keep your head down, and it all looks the same. Um, what's the, is it a similar reaction when you make a, a major league jump in a broadcasting sense? Well, it was interesting because, uh, you know, 7 o'clock game at uh, then Safeco, 
get to the ballpark a little before two o'clock, put my stuff down on the on the counter and kind of look out over Safeco. And I got this, I don't know, comforting feeling about myself to say, hey, this feels right. You can do it. Don't worry about it. And never really got the nerves until about two minutes before my first live shot uh, on the radio. It was uh, uh, everything was going well, getting excited. And uh, about two minutes before I went on the air, Mark Gubasaw comes over from the television booth and gives me the Leslie Nielsen to Peter Graves. We're all counting on you speech from airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was fun, but Darren Chan, the producer engineer and the, and Mark Langston, uh, uh, just made it uh, easy to me. Actually, my biggest concern wasn't calling the game, but was, uh, the format, uh, making sure I did the format right, especially on the Saturday and Sunday, because Monday through Friday, somebody else, does the hour-long pregame show, but on Saturday and Sunday, uh, Terry does the, the the pre and post game show. So I had to do that on that Saturday and Sunday, but everything worked out really well. Awesome. Steve, uh, and, I, oh. and one that they swept the they swept the Seattle series, won the first game in Baltimore, and then uh, uh, lost the second game in Baltimore. So the next morning, when we went to the dugout for the uh, media scrum with uh, Mike Sosha. Sosha looked at me and goes, well, you're not undefeated anymore. Now you're nothing special. Now you're just one of the guys. And I looked at him and said, I'll take it. <laughs> As you say, if they had gone 6-0, and they wouldn't have let you go. Exactly. Sosha was kind of a, uh, a superstitious guy because every year he would ask, are you going to fill in again? And I said, well, I don't know. They haven't said anything. And he goes, well, you'd better because your record's too good. <laughs> it's like you need to make sure you tell that to the right people. Um, exactly. Yeah. Steve, thank you for spending some time. I really appreciate uh, you being a part of it. Oh, I appreciate you uh, asking me, Joel. It, it was a lot of fun. Steve Klauke joining us here on PXPCast. As he said, SLB's radio is his Twitter handle if you want to shout him out and uh, let him know you caught the conversation and enjoyed it uh, if you did. Uh, great example that you never know who's listening. I had heard him tell that story about going to Portland to broadcast some games, which was like brilliant idea, by the way. Um, but like it didn't, I, it didn't, I was like, why would Portland just let this guy come up and do their, like, didn't they have a guy? Like, and I mean, it turns out they didn't uh, every, every game, but I was like, they're going to let this guy, I didn't realize at the time he was broadcasting them back to Salt Lake city, which again, brilliant. But the fact that the owner of the team was listening and said, that's my guy, whoever he works for gets the games truly. You never know who's listening on the other side of the radio or quite literally in the doorway of your booth. It's always a good reminder to put your best foot forward every time um, you pot up that microphone. Many thanks to Steve for joining us here on episode number 168 of PXPCast. That does it for us today. We're on a seven-day break. I'll talk to you next Friday. This is PXPCast. My name is Joel Godet, and we are out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.